So great to have you um, with us. Uh, we want to especially thank, this won't make a lot of sense uh, to the friends at West Campus and South Campus and St. John's, but if you're in this room right here today, thank you, okay? I know it was a journey. Uh, you might have experienced a little bit of confusion, maybe some frustration, um, and uh, didn't know that you're going to see Zilker this morning, so thanks for being here with us today. Uh, also wanted to say welcome if this is your uh, first or second time with us. Maybe you joined us for the first time last week uh, over at uh, the Irwin Center, celebrate Easter with us. It was a great day to be with the whole family together and, and talking about how we get to respond to the resurrection. Uh, so thanks for being here, um, and uh, we appreciate that. Thanks, too, to all of you. There were literally hundreds and hundreds of you that are part of this family we call the Austin Stone that serve the rest of the family and our city. And so thanks so much to you for doing that. Um, we have been looking and working our way through the book of Mark, and we're in a series right now called Normal. Christianity, normal Christianity, where we're asking, what does it look like to live, to live obedient to the words and ways of Jesus? What does it look like to live obedient to the words and ways of Jesus? See, obedience isn't supposed to just be tweeted about, right? Not because tweeting is wrong, but because that's what God expects in our lives. So how does that happen? And, and, and sometimes, even in my own life, I know a lot of things. It's easy for me to talk about the things that God wants, but what does it look like for me to actually follow him? And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. So you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be reading today. And uh, as you're turning to Mark 10, by the way, my name's Andy. I'm the director of mobilization for the 100 People Network. And so what that means is uh, me and my team, we get to help mobilize this church uh, to, the, to, the, to the needs of the unreached peoples. And when I say unreached peoples, uh, it's not necessarily um, talking about the people across town. Uh, those are people that we need to meet their needs as well, but to specifically to folks with no access to the gospel, to the people with the fewest with the fewest resources, gospel resources in the world. And so that's what we get to do. Uh, it's a joy to get to do that. And really uh, what we're talking about today is what drives everything that we do. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bible or you can read with us on the screen, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And as he was in it, uh, I'll just warn you ahead of time, we're going to read through the whole thing, okay? So just get in there. Uh, and, and as he was setting out, as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, he said to Jesus, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, 
It is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And then Peter began to say to him, See, we we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But the many who are first will be last and the last first. Today, what we want to talk about is how Jesus lovingly shows us what real treasure is and how we get it. We want to look at how Jesus lovingly shows us what real treasure is and how we get it. The main question that's being asked here starts right away in verse 17. The rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Now, I'm going to show my cards right away. I believe the answer is in verse 27, and the evidence of the answer is in verse 21. Because, see, most of us hear this story, and, and like the man, we want eternal life. We want to be saved, and that's, that's a good desire. And we think, man, i got, I got to give up everything and then have eternal life? I, I, I don't know if I can do that, or I didn't do that, but I want to. But I want to, and I think that's exactly where Jesus wants us to start today. By saying, I can't do it, but I want to. That's what he's calling us to do today. And so we're going to look at two responses to what Jesus calls us to. The rich young ruler's response and the disciples' response. And the question today is not just which one are you, but but how do you know? Not just which one are you, but how do you know? Is the evidence of the answer apparent in your life? Is the evidence of the answer apparent in your life? We'll start with the rich young ruler, verse 17. Here's a young guy. We look at the parallel story in Matthew 19. We see he's a young guy, he's rich, and he's a ruler. And he runs up to Jesus and kneels. And that wasn't something that a rich guy who was a ruler would do. So it seems like he really wants to know. And he says, good teacher. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the word the rich young ruler uses there for good in calling Jesus good is a word that means good in the most general sense, in the most universal sense, like how was, how was, um, how you doing? Good. How was your breakfast taco? Good. How was parking? Not so good. You know, like that kind of good, right? And again, that was only for this campus, sorry, campus specific jokes this morning, um, But Jesus answers his question with a question. Jesus answers his question with a question. Jesus was the master question asker. We need to be better question askers, amen? I mean, if you look at, oh, that's where you say amen. If you haven't been with us, that's okay. Um, But but when when I say amen, then you say amen. It's kind of this back and forth and lets me know that you're alive and out there. And and if you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. But but in general, if you are, then that's good, okay? Amen? Okay, there we go. And so Jesus was a master question asker, and we need to be better question askers. When we're sharing our faith, when we're trying to get to know people, ask better questions. And so Jesus asked this question, why do you call me good? And this is the first point, that Jesus redefines good. Jesus redefines what it means to be good. He's going to redefine goodness right here. Why do you call me good? What do you mean by good? What is your definition of good? These are the questions that Jesus is asking the man. And see, Jesus knew where the man was going to go 
with this question. That's part of the advantage of being God, of course. And, 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 but for our sake and the sake of the disciples, he gives some really helpful follow-up statements, some clarifying statements so that we can see what the young man's definition of goodness is and how that contrasts with his definition. Jesus gives his definition in verse 18 and says, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Jesus is saying God isn't just good in the general sense, in the universal sense. He's perfect. He's perfect. God is perfect. And it's throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 34, 32, 4, verse 4 says God's work is perfect. 2 Samuel 22, verse 31 says God's way is perfect. Isaiah 25, verse 1 says God is perfect in his, in his faithfulness. Jesus is defining goodness as perfection. He's saying God is perfect, and he's even hinting at his own deity here. And then Jesus goes back into the man's definition of goodness without him even knowing it. He says, you know the commandments, verse 19. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And Jesus lists them off. And you can kind of picture this, right? The rich young ruler is there, and he's just kind of nodding. And he's like, man, Jesus is going right where I wanted him to go. This is perfect. Uh, Jesus is saying, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And the rich young man's like, amen. Not, I haven't done those things. Do not steal, do not bear false witness. Yep, amen, that's, that's what I'm talking about, which is a total lie, right? But yeah, uh, that's right. And, and, and do not defraud, do honor your father and mother. And so Jesus helps bring out his definition of goodness. And the man proudly responds, the, the man proudly responds to his own definition of goodness. In verse 20, and he says, all these I have kept from my youth. Which is a total lie, right? So it was his first one, you know? But, but not really, like, the, the man is defining goodness with his own definition. See, he had fooled himself that, that he had fooled himself that being good was the same as being perfect. He was fooling himself, and, and, and you're like, man, when I, when I hear about this guy, I'm like, what kind of schmuck that has a loose definition of goodness like this guy? I mean, who is this guy? Why would he do that? And yet, when I look at how we sometimes define goodness, especially as it relates to God and the gospel, I wonder if we're not that different than this rich young ruler. I, I think about um, my wife's uncle passed away just a week ago. And, and our six-year-old, her first question was, Daddy, did he know Jesus? And I said, well, honey, I, I, I don't know. I, I know he knew about Jesus, but I don't know if he worshipped Jesus. And, and, and it made me think about funerals. And I'm not specifically talking about my uncle's funeral but just funerals in general, and you hear this phrase a lot. Well, he was a good, a good man, or she was a good woman, or she was a good wife. Goodness as it relates to eternal life is not good enough, amen? It's not good enough. Or, or I, think about, I think about, you ask most high school students, and this was me in high school, and you ask them, what must you do to inherit eternal life? And most of them would say some, some do's and don'ts, right? For me, it was don't have sex, don't drink and don't swear. That was the whole eternity, okay? Those, that, that equaled the gospel for me coming out of high school, my own doing, right? I mean, to the extent that don't swear, my, my nickname was Cube, like Ice Cube, the, the actor, rapper who sometimes uses colorful language. That was my name because I wouldn't swear. Guys would say, Andy, I'll give you 20 bucks if you swear. 
And I wouldn't do it. I wore it around. I began to wear it around like a badge of honor. See, when we live in a system of do's and don'ts, we become Pharisees. We have the right outward behavior, but at the core, we are trusting our own actions for God's love and approval. We can find much identity in what we do for God. We begin to believe the lie, either subtly or blatantly, that God will love me more if I fill in the blank. This is what happened to the older brother in the, in the story of Luke 15. You guys are familiar with it, right? The prodigal son. The prodigal sons, really. And, and the one squanders his father's wealth, and the other thinks that he should have the wealth because of what he does. And his father goes out to him and says, son, why aren't you at the party? He says, what are, what, what's all this stuff with the younger brother? Father, I've never broken any of your commandments, and you've never even given me a goat to celebrate. What's the deal? You should love me because of the things I've done. And, and his father realizes that he's living in a broken system. And he says, my son, that's not how it works. All I have is yours because you're my son, not because of what you do. And again, some, some, maybe not blatantly, but, but ask yourself this morning, is this in my heart? Did, did I believe the lie today that if I came to church that God would love me more? Ask yourself. Do, 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 do I believe the lie that, that God will love me more if I'm in a missional community? That God will love me more if I'm a greeter? That God will love me more if I go on a short-term mission trip? He might. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's my role, right? I get to do that. I'm just totally kidding. Just wanted to let a little air out of the room, okay? He won't. Now, those are all good things. Uh, coming to be with the church. Uh, reading your Bible, going on a short-term trip, those are all great things, but you can't find your identity in them. You can't. When what we do for God defines who we are, we've missed it. Isaiah 64, 6 makes it perfectly clear. It says our good deeds, our best deeds, are like a polluted garment. And in the Hebrew, sorry, it's a little gross, but in the Hebrew, that means that polluted garment is, means a stained menstrual garment. That is nasty. A stained menstrual rag, really? Like, and people are like, am I supposed to laugh about this or not laugh? Or, I don't know. I mean, it is nasty, but I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh about that now. But that's what it is to God when we try to earn his love and, and favor. That's what it is to him. It's nasty. Isaiah 64 makes it really clear. And so, like the rich young ruler, when we have an incorrect definition of goodness, it leads us to an incorrect definition of the, the, the main question. It leads us to the wrong treasure. And yet, here's the incredible news today. Are you ready for this? It's verse 21. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And, the, and that word in the Greek, looked at him, or looking at him, means that Jesus was looking right into who he was. Like intensely, like looking into his very soul, and he loved him. And why this is so incredible is because you think about what the man just said. All of these I have kept. I must be able to inherit eternal life. I'm going to base my salvation on my own goodness. Why that's so amazing that Jesus loved him is because he basically just said, Jesus, thanks very much, but I don't need you. You don't need to die. You don't need to raise from the dead. You don't need to give me an example of what it looks like to live and follow God. I've got it covered. And Jesus, in the midst of that, loves him. 
and then says this. And, and, and by the way, in loving him, Jesus is calling the rich young man back to himself. And that's what Jesus wants to do today. If you're finding your identity or some of your identity in what you do for God, Jesus is lovingly calling you back today to himself. He says to the rich young ruler in verse 21, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Sell everything you have and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Jesus is lovingly pointing out the man's lacking, that he has made what he does for God his God. That Jesus is lovingly pointing out that he, the rich young ruler, has broken the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me because what he's doing and what he's finding his identity and his status in has actually become his God. The, Jesus is lovingly pointing out how the rich young ruler is trying to gain treasure and it will never work. He can never be good enough. That's what religion does. I was talking with a, a, a new friend from India just a few days ago about the difference between Jesus and all the other world religions. Because in religion, you earn, try to earn God's favor. You try to do, 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 so that God will accept you. And Jesus has a whole other system, doesn't he? This is what's incredible about what Jesus is calling the man to. And Jesus knows, see, Jesus knows the only way to have him as the treasure is for God to reveal to us what we are actually treasuring that is in him. Jesus knows the only way to have him as the treasure is for God to reveal to us what we are actually treasuring that is in him. This is what Jesus was doing for the rich young man, and that's what he wants to do today for us. And every single one of us, to some extent, needs a treasure exchange. It needs to happen where we take what we do for God and say, God, I want you to be God in my life. That's what he was offering the rich young man Let's see how he responded. Verse 22. It says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Right there, the, the, the rich young ruler was defining or revealing what his treasure was. His treasure was what he had. His treasure was what he had. Jesus is going to redefine treasure. First, Jesus redefines goodness, redefines who we are, and now Jesus is going to redefine what we have. For the rich young ruler, he chose his treasure, his possessions, over Jesus. That's what he was giving his affections to. This was the idolatry that he needed to repent of. And so he had a choice to repent, and he walks away. And Jesus warns us. He warns us, you cannot serve both God and money. See, in our hyper-advertised, have as much as you want, as fast as you want, I-everything culture, there are more and more and more lesser treasures that are constantly at battle with the treasure of Jesus. Jesus says you can't serve both. You need to, Matthew 6, 24, you will either serve God or you will serve money. You either serve God with your money or serve money as your God. 
God gives us money to show our affections. He gives us money to show what our real treasure is. Matthew, uh, uh, Logan said it this morning, right? For where your treasure is, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So if you're like, man, I, I don't know what I treasure. How, how do I know? Well, here's one way to f- help you f- figure it out, and for me as well. So look at your credit card statement and your checkbook from last month and say, what were the things that I treasured last month? It's a pretty stark reality for the most of us. And I want to clear something up real quick before we, before we jump on, because some of us hear rich young ruler and we'll think, well, that's, that's I mean, that's because he was rich. I mean, I'm not rich, and I, I would even put myself in that camp. I, I'm not that rich, and, and yet because we live in America, we had this skewed view. We had this skewed view of what it means to, to be rich. So take out your phone or write this down, globalrichlist.com globalrichlist.com and what this website does don't forget to switch it from pounds if you want to take your phone out right now and do it and and for the four of you who don't have internet on your phones like you can write it down and do it later right that kind of even applies the richness that we have and and you switch it from pounds to dollars so make sure you're in dollars and then you just type in your annual salary and it will show you how rich you and I are compared to the seven billion other people we share the planet with and just in case you, you don't have 4G in here if you make $10,000 a year, that's a part-time job, not even $1,000 a month. If you make $10,000 a month, or I'm sorry, a year, you are in the top 13% of the world's wealth. If you make $26,000, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealth. And if you make more than $48,000 a year, you are in the top 1% percent of all the world's wealth. So we in America are filthy and abundantly rich. And, and, and as, as the reality of, of who else is in the world and the fact that in the world half the world's population lives on less than two dollars a day. Less than $2 a day. Now, what's crazy is I regularly spend $2 on a cup of coffee. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a cup of coffee. But the reality of I'm spending some people's full day income right now in this one little cup should affect us. It should make us ask the question, why do I have so much money? Why do I? I think it's number one to show and to share who real treasure is. To show and to share who treasure is. I think about my, my friend John who drives a 2002 Toyota Camry, okay? This thing's 11 years old. It's like five-tone now, you know? Uh, th- th- there's multiple paint and the clear stuff's peeling off. And, I mean, you got white kind of crustoed, nasty stuff. And, and, I mean, just like there's a little bit of original left on the back, um, trunk lid, you know, the original paint. And, and I'm like, John, why do you drive this thing? You're in sales. You're really good at it. You easily make six figures. Like, what's the deal? And he said, well, well Andy, it's, it's so that I can continue to give more and more to what God's purposes are in this city and in the world. So, see, don't hear what I'm not saying. Just because you drive a 2002 Toyota Camry doesn't mean you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? Just because you're poor 
doesn't mean you're going to enter the kingdom of God. But we have to look at the reality. We cannot soften Jesus' warning here to the rich, to the fact that it is difficult for us, me included. I make above $48,000 a year. I'm in the top 1%. Jesus is clearly speaking to me. He says, verse 24, it is easier for a camel, think longhorn, right? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's harder than impossible. It's beyond possible for the rich to enter. Anybody living in America, no matter what their job is or isn't, is rich. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we, and this is what the disciples said, they, they, they were exceedingly astonished, it says in verse 26, and they said, then who can be saved? Now that's the exact question that the rich young ruler asked in verse 17, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus gives us the answer. Jesus gives us the answer to both questions, which are the same in verse 27. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Salvation, being saved, inheriting eternal life, entering the kingdom of God is always and only because of God. He is the one that does it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can only receive it from him. We don't get treasure, we receive it. Jesus was searching for, how do I help people understand that they can't earn their way to God? They can't buy God. How, how do I help people understand in the story, just earlier than the one we read this morning, in verse 13 of, of Mark, or verse 15 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Because he was like, who are the receiving experts that I know? Right? Parents, you know this one? Kids are experts at receiving, amen? Okay. If your kid's not an expert at receiving, we need to talk afterwards. Okay? My, my, our little four-year-old, her birthday was just a few weeks ago. She received easily. It was not hard for her to receive. She received with great joy. And she never once, you're, you're not going to believe this, but she never once got out her little purse and said, here, Mommy and Daddy, I, I wanted to pay you back for that. She didn't do that once. Isn't that crazy? She just received. That's what Jesus said we need to become like in order to enter the kingdom of God. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. And that's why money is so dangerous because as we are entrusted with more and more money, it puts us in the place of power so that rather than depending on God to do the impossible, we look to ourselves, we look to our own means, and we decide what we have control of. We look to money for security. We look to money for power. We look to money for control. We look to money for comfort. That's why it's impossible for us, especially in America, to enter the kingdom of God apart from God. Amen? This is good news, I hope you know. The good news is you can't do it. I can't do it. But God can do it in us. It's unbelievable. The only way that we can confess that Jesus is the treasure is if God does it in our lives. And once he enters 
our lives, we will always have him, and that treasure of Jesus can never be taken away. Amen? This becomes abundantly clear when people reveal what their treasure is through loss and suffering. I think about when we did college ministry. When we did college ministry and we'd send after Katrina, remember a, a few years back, it's been maybe a few more than a few, but Katrina hit, uh, especially New Orleans. We would send teams of college students down. We'd go down there and do uh, relief work, and, and the rich and the poor alike had lost everything, had lost everything, and, 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 and people were devastated because they'd been putting their hope and their, finding their treasure in something that could be taken away. And yet the good news was, is that God used that tragedy to show people the triteness of their treasure. God used that tragedy to show people the triteness of their treasure. And many people said, I don't want a treasure that can be taken away anymore. I want a treasure that's eternal, that's lasting, that can never be taken away. And they turned to Jesus. They turned to Jesus. So how do we know? How do we know if we've received this treasure? What is the evidence that's apparent in our life or not? Here, here it is. I think when we take the very things that the world treasures and eagerly give them up, we redefine who real treasure is. When we take the things that the world wants and we eagerly, maybe not always easily, but eagerly give them up, that's how we know we've received this treasure. And I think about Bill. Bill was in a get trained class last fall, and, and he was in this class, and he was learning some of these verses about treasuring Jesus, and he even heard a, an example of a guy uh, uh, that, that every year, at the end of the year, he would clear out his savings account completely, just so that he knew that he wasn't trusting in his money at all. Every year he would do this, year after year, and so you take the treasuring and that example, and, and, and our friend Bill said, that's what I'm going to do. And so this, just this last December, a few days before the end of the year, Bill cleared out his savings account. And he had a load in there. He's got a great job. He cleared it out completely. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying savings is wrong, but what was the last, when was the last time that there was evidence of your treasure being Jesus? And for Bill, he realized he was finding too much control, security, comfort in his savings account, so he wiped it out. And what Jesus calls us to do is to do this again and again and again and again. And we'll find out why, what's going to motivate us here in just a second. When Jesus says, come and follow me, that following is talking about following like following a person on a road, which is what the disciples did their whole lives because they just walked everywhere, right? And, and, and they're following him. If, and if I said to you this morning, hey, follow me to my car, right, which is parked over in Zilker, if, if I said, follow me to my car, and you said, okay, and you took one step, you're like, I followed you. I'd be like, bro, uh, <laughs> you kind of got a messed up definition of follow. Following means that you take another step and another step and another step until you reach the destination. And that's what Jesus calls us to, church. To give up and sell, to give up and sell, to give up and sell. Why? Not just for the sake of giving things up, so that we can show that we have a better treasure. So that we can show that we have a better treasure and we can enjoy this great treasure. And that's what the, the disciples exemplified in their lives. You look at Peter, what he says in verse 28, and he says, Jesus, that's what we've done. We've left everything to follow you. 
And you look back at Matthew 4 where the, the, the disciples were called, and that's exactly what they did. In, in, in Matthew 4, it talks about how they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their father or family, and, and they left even their identity as fishermen. They left what they had and what they did behind and followed Jesus. And here's what Jesus promises them. This is the good news. Verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now in this time right now, it's not just an eternal blessing. It's one that Jesus wants to give us right now when we sell everything and follow him. Houses and that will not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Note that. It's not always easy. It is better, but it's not always easy. And in the age to come, eternal life. See, there is great reward for those who exchange treasure. There is great reward for those who exchange treasure. I think about Sarah and, and James. Sarah and James moved to Austin about two years ago because they wanted to, to live really intentionally and learn how to make disciples because that's what they wanted to go do in Asia. And so they moved here. They sold everything. And where they moved from another state, they, they gave up quite a bit. Like the disciples, they gave up their family. They were really close with their family. They had two young kids. It wasn't easy. They saw their family often. They had great jobs where they lived. And they gave those up. And they, come he they came here. They gave they left their family, and yet they gained a family. When I, asked, when I asked James about what his Goer missional community experience was like, he said this. He said, most of our Goer missional community, oh, by the way, most of their Goer missional community lived in the same building. They sa he said, we left family, but we gained more of a family. We experienced more community, more prayer, a better marriage than we ever had where we previously lived. See, when we give everything, we gain everything. When we give everything, we gain everything. And then a few months back, they did it again. Another step to follow Jesus. Not because it was easy, but because they knew there was new family, new brothers, sisters, father, mother, overseas, and they went to Asia. And it's not because waking up in Asia is easy every day and learning a new language. And the point, I hope you're not hearing the point is that every one of us needs to move to Asia. Okay? If you want to do that, I'd love to talk to you about that. We can help you do that. But that's not the point this morning. And I'll give you one more example. But the reason they moved to Asia, by the way, the reason they moved there is for greater joy. Because there will be a day. There will be a day when they're gathered with new family, not just in their town, but in towns that surround them, and a whole people group has given their lives to Jesus. Is there joy in that treasure? And that can happen in your neighborhood. That can happen at your workplace. I, I, Jesus is promising greater treasure. Great, lasting joy motivates temporary loss. And so when we're empowered by the Spirit of God, we need to ask ourselves the question today, what lesser treasures... What lesser treasures need to be sold? What needs to be exchanged? Not to win God's favor, but to re reveal that we have received it. Maybe it needs to be an identity exchange, like me in college. 
Man, in college, I went to two churches, one for the teaching, one for the worship. I was involved in the youth group. I helped out with the youth group. I spoke at the youth group. I was on the, the youth group's leadership team. I was involved in my campus ministry. I was um, involved in the, the leadership of the campus ministry. I served ice cream for the campus ministry. I was the MC at, at the campus ministry. I led a Bible study, and on and on and on, and that's where I found my identity. And it's tiring, isn't it? When we find our identity in what we do, it's tiring. And Jesus is saying this morning, you don't have to do that. Not because those things are bad. You can keep doing those things, but do them out of love, not for it. Amen? The other one, the other exchange that may need to happen in your life is a possession exchange. I'll I'll tell this story and then we'll be done. Like Steve and Allison. And a few years ago when they um, got engaged, Steve wanted to make sure they started their life together with a greater eternal picture in mind. So he, he did. He still bought a nice ring, but he spent more, he spent more on giving to several individuals who were among the unreached, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And as he gave Allison that ring and, and, and entered into that marriage, he then brought her to a globe and said, pull out these things. And she was, said, what is this? And he said, this, this is with his words. These are really good. He said, I want us to invest more in the eternal marriage than the temporary one. I want us to invest more in the eternal marriage than the temporary one. See, see he wanted their marriage to be about Jesus and his return. And so he wanted to, to give money to those who were pushing forward the kingdom of God. Whether he left or not was not the real question. But was that his heart? Was that his ultimate treasure? And you can believe it as the reports started coming in of what that money was empowering God's people to do. There was great joy. God is the only one that can help us live that out. God is the only one that can give us this joy. He's the only one. He wants to be our treasure today. God, we pray and ask that you would be our treasure. We come confessing that there are a lot of things that we can find our identity in, a lot of things that we can treasure more than you. And so, God, help rearrange our lives. Help, you don't want us to live in guilt and shame. You just want us to, to give them up and then come and find you. Thank you, God, that this doesn't have to just be a somber moment, that really this is a moment of celebration because you, Jesus, are the best treasure. That's what you're offering to us today. You're offering yourself, and there's nothing better in this world, there's nothing better that we can do than you. Thank you, God, that this is how you've set it up, that you're the only one that can empower us to choose you. So we want to, like children today, we want to receive it. We want to receive it. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And the church agreed and said,